Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast. I'm your host, John, and today I'm joined by Matthew and Johannes. And after this, we're going to talk a little bit about our own games, comparing and contrasting, and how we think they're going at the moment and what we've learned from them. But first, cue the music. Okay, so does anyone want to jump in first and tell us a little bit about the games that they have going at the moment? Right, so active games at the moment. Uh, I have three D&D campaigns that are scheduled throughout the weeks and months. And I have a Numenera game, which is relatively new. It's an in-person game for one of my main like home groups. We take it in turns to like, round robin every so many weeks, so that's why like, it's just my turn at the moment. So we did... Break down them each one in turn, John. So I'll start with the numerator one because that's the that's the most recent and kind of like like have the least to talk about as it were. Um, this one is um, set in the second edition of the numerator rules, and um, I'm I'm running a published adventure because I wanted to see how it plays out. It's one of the reasons I picked to run this system and that adventure. So I'm running Slaves of the Machine God. What's interesting about this is it's actually two separate campaigns in the book that you can combine into one larger story. So the idea is you have one one section which is about building a community out in the wilds in just outside of the Steadfast, which is like part of the Numenera setting, which is where the majority of the civilized areas are. This is this is trying to showcase the community building and the crafting elements of the Numenera setting, which they introduced more um, fine-tuned in the second edition. That's one part of it, but then there's the kind of an overall meta story, which is the second part, which is about a, um, I don't want to say too many spoilers, but it's about a relic of um, a previous age. No, no, no surprise there would be a Numenera. And about how someone previously uncovered it and did something nefarious with it of course. And now that thing is bearing fruit and the seeds of that plan um, are kind of like these strange events involving these mechanical beings. Oh, Hence okay. the title of the published adventure. And so far, it's it's going well. It's a kind of second part to when I originally ran Numenera for this group. So it's like that campaign concluded, so not really important right now, but the, this is sort of like the next chapter. A new okay. story. You oh, did got... you have a question there, John? No, I was going to say, that all sounds good. So you say you've got some D&D games running as well? Correct, yes. So I have um, the Eberron game, which has been running since 2019. I ran it primarily in person, but during the lockdowns, I transitioned to Roll20 for a while. And that game has been going really well. Uh, the party is currently in the sort of mid act the sort of the second act of the story um they're approximately level 10 and right now they're dealing with getting to grips with the main antagonist to them and i've i don't know how much you guys know about the Eberron law i know john does i'm not sure how, how much hannes knows but it's this the the people that they're going up against is something called the dream in dark and this is a an organization of dream spirits who want to sow discord throughout the world to maintain a nightmare. And they've been caught 
And the kind of big thing about this game that from previous campaigns is because I had a mixture of really um, fresh people to D&D and people who've been playing D&D for a long time. So I wanted to be able to bring new people in, but I also wanted to make it interesting for the kind of old guard, you know, the people who've done this before, they know the drill, they've been in a dungeon, you know, they see, they see something with tentacles in an eye, they know what's going down, you know what I mean? So I wanted to try and make that interesting for them. That was a big part of the game. So I read a lot of um, spy fiction, espionage dramas, and like fantasy kind of um, um, cloak and dagger stuff in preparation. And I wanted to make the initial session like really important so like a lot of stuff happened in that very first se session which was a, a about them being caught up in an airship crash and like the, the characters on that airship who was who who attacked them where it crashed i wanted that to be really important but the context of that not to be fully understood initially and it plays out over time so where they are right now, they kind of have an idea of, okay, who organized the attack? Like, okay, what were their motives? Why were the people on that ship important? They've kind of got some idea, but there's still a few um, twists to go, which I don't want to say too much in case any of my players listen to this. Nice. And so, then the other game... An, oh, an airship crash, you say. Oh, we'd start a mm -hmm. game with an airship crash. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great way to kick things off. It's true, man. It's true. It's great. Sorry, you were saying you were the game? Yeah, but... There's another two games. So there's another game which is where I spoke to you about just before we start recording, which is a game I started in fourth edition D&D in like 2012, 2013 with some friends. It's my first campaign ever, so it's my original campaign. And I've got a lot to talk about that, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that a bit later when you have else has had a chance to like talk as well. Um, and that, that ran for several years, and then we had a bit of a break. And now the players really wanted to continue the story. So I've kind of brought it back. Even though I'd left it at a point you could, it could have been left, I've brought it back and we're continuing on with the story. And I'm trying to take it all the way to completion from what, from what our initial, like, Station Zero discussion about what they wanted in the game. I'm trying to hit that landing now over a decade. And the last game... <laughs> I'm not running these all the same, like, all within the same week, because that, that would be insane, but scheduled out throughout the month. Um, this was um, a request um, by some friends of mine. They'd had an initial D&D um, &D game which they hadn't had a lot of fun with or they felt that it wasn't true to what they thought D&D was, which is obviously an interesting discussion in itself. And they knew that obviously I was running games and they asked if I would run them another game so they could get a, like a, a second opinion. But they explained to me that they, they basically were complete newbies. They didn't know anything about the rules and they wanted a fresh start. So I so saying they wanted a classical adventure. I picked a I picked again. I picked a published adventure. Um, this is the Waterdeep Dragon High story because I thought that would be not too combat heavy, a mixture of exploration, investigation, and so a, a location that they could get to know. And that's about twenty five percent of the way through now. And that one's a very interesting one because those people I've I've started they didn't know anything. I've been bringing them up bit by bit into tabletop veterans yeah that's my games for the moment excellent thank you and um johannes do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on your game or games yeah it's <clears throat> more of the game right now uh i was running uh the official symbarum campaign uh, throne of thorns which at present uh, there are five 
sort of books and adventure locations that come from those books and the sort of campaign that runs through uh, these different segments that are released. Uh, it's a grand campaign, which uh, like you could fill in a lot of stuff into like between the, the official, like the book adventures. And I think you should, and you could play that for like 10 years and have a very nice sort of um, political uh, adventuring, uh, dark fantasy style, like absolute epic thing if you wanted to put all your eggs in that one uh swedish basket you could uh and i i think that would be pretty sweet i've only been doing the the book content and a couple of uh side adventures uh do sort of prep the the group I intro them into stumbarm the game and then started the uh with the official materials now i've run through three books i believe Yep, three books we finished yesterday. Uh, yesterday, yesteryear. <laughs> oh yeah, um, last year uh, to us non uh, aristocrats, and um, that is currently on ice uh, for various reasons. But that's the thing that I sort of did in uh, my last couple of months. That's that was something that was going on. Is very good. A symbolism is a uh, rather nice system. It is something that I would probably want to run with. Well, for example, the the folks currently on the podcast here, like that, that is something that I would not be opposed to. It is Don't threat me with very a good time. fun. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Also, uh, some of personal opinion, of course, but some of the most evocative fantasy art in the business is in those books. They have fantastic artists. Um. <clears throat> Um, don't really want to dive into too much about like what that is because it's you know it's official materials, yeah, uh, no spoilers, etc. But uh, grand adventure, uh, some with like opportunities for a lot of political stuff you get onto on the side. Sumbarum as a setting, um, folks uh, are trying to rebuild their kingdom next to a giant, uh, hostile, uh, monster-filled forest with treasure inside, and uh, then. You press play and stuff happens. Uh, but that's sort of the setup there. Um, so that is on ice. That hasn't been ongoing for a while. I don't know what the future holds for that. But the one that I am currently running is uh, sort of second season of my uh, Stars Without Number game that we uh, played for a year, a couple of years back. And we're using the sort of same setting framework uh, same sector of space, well, now uh, expanding to another sector of space, but using the sort of established background from a previous campaign. I do rather like that idea. Maybe this will become like one of those. I, I always find it very um, sort of, I don't know what the correct word would be, but sort of like aspirational when someone goes, oh, I've I've played since the 70s. Uh, I've just expanded my home, like detailed my campaign settings since the 70s, and now it's a magnum opus that spans like the entire wall in our living room. If you just put all my stuff on it, um, maybe something like that will slowly accrue for me with Star Wars Number because I do enjoy that particular game. Uh, Kevin Crawford makes brilliant stuff. Uh, I, I do enjoy his stuff immensely. He, uh, as far as like. <laughs> 
the the true spirit of D&D, as you, Matthew, invoked that particularly non-abrasive topic. Um, <laughs> yeah, nothing controversial I, I find, there. I said yeah. it was just, it's a whole thing on its a discussion by itself. Yeah, Matthew, what is OSR to you? Um, let's not touch that, actually. But um, <laughs> as far as sort of like D20 flavor, I find that there's a lot that Crawford does that uh, sits right with me. Um, uh, it's just... It's just fun. <laughs> He's got a lot of fun stuff in the books and a lot of cool tools with which to make these sandbox um, games that those games that he makes are built to do. And uh, I do enjoy that. We did the first campaign that we did with Star Wars The Number Revised um, was more or less a sort of X-crawly space uh, adventure uh, story where uh, the characters were free to go where they wanted to and uh, eventually as you know it tends to happen with games people latch on to a particular bits of story and then those become more important and the uh, the sandbox uh, aspect fades a little bit to the background um, we decided to do something a little bit different with this new Star Wars number game and we decided to meld a bunch of sci-fi uh sort of uh, bits that we like about sci-fi shows and movies into uh, the background. So we are currently members of a ragtag uh, survivor fleet from a planet that was taken over by a hostile force, and uh, they made a desperate uh, last-ditch attempt to jump into the unknown, more or less, and um, arrived in a an area of space that is unfamiliar to them, and now we are doing... Uh, less so with the like here's the map and we go wherever we're doing here's the map we're trying to fill it out we're exploring we're learning about stuff and we're trying to find out where um, we could have a new home world essentially is the uh, the pitch for the new game and that has been going on for six, 16, 16 sessions I want to say and um we are now getting into because we're using the Codex of the Black Sun, which is Crawford's space magic uh, sort of add-on to Stars Without Number Revised. We're using that, so things are uh, a little bit more uh, magical than they were in the first game that we played. Um, so we have, you know, classic sci-fi psychics and also space wizards and Jedi off-brand Jedi and uh, and so on. And that's been very fun as well, because we're doing... It's a little bit of a different angle to the game that I uh, thoroughly love anyway. So it's uh, the same old uh, good bits and also the new approach to it, which keeps it fresh for everyone, I hope. Um, aside from those two things, I did... A, towards the end of last year, I did a, a number of uh, Cthulhu, Call of Cthulhu uh, one-shots with some folks who are sort of not super deep into role-playing games, not all of them. Like, there's some who are more, uh, okay. I suppose, veterans of it, but the, a lot of folks who um, don't necessarily play a lot or had never played before. Um, that's a very rare occurrence to me that I, I managed to play with someone who has never played before, always uh, brings a little bit more sweat to the brow. It's like, okay, so this is, this is their first impression of the hobby. Oh, boy. I, I better, you know, carry this over the line because <laughs> I really want them to enjoy this hobby because I love it. 
but yeah, um, did a bit of that. Um, Lovecrafty and goodness, sort of. I, I went back to the uh, Call of Cthulhu, like the intro adventures that I've been enjoying since I started in the hobby. So that was that was a bit of fun, like trying to pass on my nostalgia uh, first experiences to other people as their first experiences. That was that was cool. Well, I'm still waiting for that campaign of Mass and Neil Arthur to. Yeah, we, that, we, that is a thick set of books. Yeah, we need to um, we need to mark off a couple of years for that, uh, and uh, I, I think depending on who's available at the time, um, I think it's just a question of doing it really, uh, and of course not having other big projects on the way. I mean, the time to it, yeah. That, like, that's that's yeah. the thing you say. I've been running a game for like thirty years, and it's all yeah. this campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah that that is that is juicy. That is wonderful i really want to do that but it is a project <laughs> and it's interesting that you're talking about um you know the sort of aspirational quality of people who've been like, running a game set in the same campaign world for, for for many years and they've just sort of expanded it as they've got along uh, so me and matthew were talking just before we came on air um matthew was saying he, there's a couple of like games that i've run that he's been in like my, my jade punk game that he'd like to see me revisit and like do like a second season for a better term of and i was saying i often find it difficult to sort of muster the same enthusiasm to revisit a concept mm-hmm. as opposed to coming up with a new concept because for me like one of the big bits of the game i enjoy is that bit when you're at the start and you've created something mm-hmm. like frat even if it's like a, a game you've run mm-hmm. lots of times the campaign world will be like fresh and new you're exploring like a new thing and you've got that sort of sense of like discovery and you're piecing together what's going on. Whereas sort of going back to something you've done previously, and obviously, yeah, you'd there'd be different stories in the campaign and different enemies and stuff like that, even if it was the same campaign world. But for me personally, much as I, I love the idea of having that one massive campaign world, and like I say, I, I really love that idea. Um, so I say, I love the stories when someone's like, oh, I've been playing Greyhawk for like 70 years and I've mm-hmm. got like. I've got like a, a 600 foot map that like I've wallpapered the side of my house with that started off as like three hexes or whatever. And I love all that when someone says, oh, I've been playing in this campaign world for so, like so many years and now it looks nothing like the published world we started with, we've made our own. I think that's really cool. For me though, I struggle to see myself as a GM sort of getting to that stage because um, I was saying to Matthew, when I'm sort of getting to the end of a campaign, and obviously, like, we've done a lot of talk about, you know, finance campaigns and stuff like that. When I'm getting to the end of a campaign, I've always got half an eye on, like, right, what's the next campaign going to be? How can it be different from the, the last campaign? How can it? How can like, we, like you said, like, refresh, refresh it, make something new and exciting? And I know it's... I, I don't begrudge anyone who w- wants to go back and revisit stuff. So I said, we're doing your Stars Without Number game now, yeah. which... I played in the the first of a season of that, and yet you've refreshed the concept and made it quite different in the second season. But let's say the 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 bones of like the original game are very much still there, and I'm very much enjoying that. For me as a as a player, but for me as a GM, I str- I struggle when I think, oh yeah, I could go back to like Jade Bunker, I could go back to like this campaign or that campaign. I struggle to get the same level of enthusiasm to like revisit something rather than like making something entirely new. I don't know how you guys feel about that, the, the idea of like revisiting stuff. I was going to say, uh, do you think, before we get to like what I think about it, um, 
do you think that might be uh, something to do with the fact that uh, I suppose as a person who runs a lot of games and especially games that don't necessarily come with the, like a ready-made set of play pieces that you yeah. put on the table do you think you enjoy the process of making those set pieces and thinking about the uh, the content for the game and making up all the societies and whatever um, to such an extent that that's like a major draw like start I at least yeah. for me uh, that's let's tie this back into what I think uh, that is a thing that I thoroughly enjoy character generation starting a new game some of the best times in a campaign and it's just because I like making new stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, up with ideas. yeah. I, I completely agree. And for me, there's there's nothing like it's one of my favourite bits of like role playing. There's nothing like that bit when you you've done your session zero, and that normally gets me quite fired up because like everyone's firing concepts, and you're like, oh yeah, like we like we did with revolvers and katanas. We're like, oh yeah, we want this this world with like some anachronistic technology, and there was a battle between like this ancient group of mages and this sort of like church of progress, and like we were on the losing side, and it's a bit firefly and stuff like that. And when you're all firing these ideas, I start thinking like, oh yeah, yeah, I could, do, I could do something with this, I could do something with that, I can pull this thread. Then you, then people are creating characters, and you're like, oh yeah, they've created this really cool character, and they've they said they were like like um, with Rob's character, where he's like, oh, I've got, I've got um, an, an alternate ID as like a a sergeant on the like winning side of the conflict that we went on. It's like a fake ID, and I'm like, oh great, I can I can pull something on that, and I've got. My head's just full of all these like different ideas and cool things that we can do. And I think as a campaign, this isn't like rubbish any campaigns or anything. I think it's part of the natural process. But as you go along, I think that initial excitement sort of fades off a bit. And it's it's replaced by, it's not like you, you, you do the first few sessions like, ah, oh, not really interested in this game anymore. But it's like a different sort of interest in the game. You, know, you become invested in like the campaign world and the ongoing story and what your characters are getting up to. But it's a different type of enjoyment than when everything's sort of like fresh and new at the start. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, we, we know we're in this small town, but we don't know what's beyond that. We've got to go out and like find out what's out there. Like in um, your game, Johannes. Oh, yeah, we've I, I'm thoroughly enjoying it now. And like, you've done what I think was a great idea, where you're like, oh, we started off in this section of space called the Veiled Reach. And then we discovered... There's this like other like strange area of space called the uh, Meridian, where there's a uh, there's like ancient remnants of old tech, and that's like oh great, so we we're going to explore this bit. Oh, but now it's been refreshed because we've now got this other like new crazy bit we can explore, which I think's a really good way of doing it. Because to use like a computer analogy, you know, it's like if you if you're playing a computer game and you're playing like the same level over and over again, eventually you you start to know it all. You know where everything is. And you sort of like you master that level of the game, then if the game sort of goes, oh, here's stage two, and it sort of brings some new stuff, and you you're back to where you're starting. You have to find out all that stuff again. That it's that finding out stuff which is the main enjoyment for me, and getting to build that stuff that people get to find out. Whereas, and, and also with, with me like not having a great memory, any sort of if there's a campaign I've run and it was like. Like I was chatting to Matthew about my Jade Punk campaign, which was like years and years ago now. I was like, if I wanted to run that again now, I'd feel like, right, well, I need to go back. I need to like see if I've still got any of the notes, which I probably haven't from that campaign. All right, so what are my other choices? Well, I could watch the like, God knows how many hours of like video footage we've done. But again, you start to, to me, that starts feeling more like 
you know, you're doing like school homework rather than sort of doing the exciting bit of like, right, I've got this really cool game I want to run. We've got all these ideas from the session zero for this world. Like, great, let's create something and let's make something and go forward with it. You know, if you don't mind, I'll I'll just uh, add a few thoughts to that, John. Go for it. Um, I, I see, I see what you're. I said we'll probably start talking. I see where you're coming from. But for me, like going back to a campaign, it's the it's the fun in working out what comes next. You know, it's the okay. These events happened. Now what? Like, what's the next chapter? Like, this is an ongoing world. How does the how does the characters? actions create the new normal like yeah. what, what what goes forward and you know coming up with like how that would continue is like in front of me because okay maybe i like i like an idea of an event that happens then i've got to kind of work out how does how do we get to that point yeah you know? i mean as we, I, don't, I don't disagree i mean as we were sort of chatting before we mm-hmm. we came on though for me, I always, and this is just my own personal viewpoint, I realise it's like a weird thing for myself, but I'd always worry that if I was trying to run, like, I don't know, let's, let, I'll just use J-Punk an example, like, we, when I try and run my games, I, I don't try and worry about, like, have I got to do a sequel afterwards? Because, you know, I don't want to be, like, thinking, like, oh, I've got some really good ideas, but I'm going to save those for, like, for like game two. If, if I've got some good ideas and some fun stuff, I want them all to be in the first game. I don't want the first game to, oh, be, like, yeah. to be, like, tepid just because I'm holding all the good stuff back, effectively. So, you don't want to save the best story for the third act. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So a, a lot of my games tend to be, like, tend to be like quite big in that like they get the scale gets quite big so like you said in jade punk we had like a floating um island like dropping on a city and destroying it like a big catastrophe and there was like a demon loose in the ruins and stuff like that and i always think that if i then ran a second season of that in addition to all the like potential logistical issues i'd then feel like i had to like top that and i think it you can get into a sort of escalation cycle for want of a better term and we've, we've talked about a few sort of um, TV series that have done this where, like say, we were chatting about Supernatural earlier, where you get to a point where they're like, right, they, they've, they've beaten the devil, they've defeated him. Right, what can we do next? Oh, oh right, L- Lilith. Right, Lilith. Right, okay, yeah. Right, they've beaten Lilith. What's next? Oh, it's the Void. Right, what's after the Void? Uh, angels. Yep. Angels. Right, okay. All right, now, now they're fighting. They've beaten the angels. Now they're fighting against God. And even they got to a point where they're like, right, we, we can't go any bigger than this. Be bigger bigger and better and brighter than the last time. Yeah. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you do have to necessarily go bigger, but I personally would feel like I had to go bigger. And also I'd be worried about, in my own mind, I'm not saying my players would be doing this, but in my own mind, I'd be mm-hmm. constant, especially if it's a game that loads of people enjoyed. Like, we played that how many years ago now? I and mean, you still like, sort of say, how much you enjoyed Jade Punk. I do. It was... It was interesting characters were in that game yeah that's what but, i mean like and that's to me that's what the heart of the game was was the characters and yeah the, for, the for me we i'd as a gm like just in my own mind i'd always be sort of like comparing a sequel to like the original and i'm always worried about that law of diminishing returns where like if people didn't seem to be enjoying j punk 2 as much as they enjoyed the yeah. first one i'd I'd find that quite sort of downheartening, and I'd be like, I'd be constantly get thinking in my mind. This, just, like I said, it's just a weird thing for myself. I'd constantly be thinking like, right, how do I make this as good or better as the first one? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it could spur you on to be more creative and to do stuff like that. But I, I personally find it a little bit difficult to sort of get past that mentality of like, how do I make it as good as the first game? Is is everyone enjoying it as much as the first game? 
because to use films as an example, it's a very rare film where you like you see a sequel to a film, and it's as good as the first film. There are some exceptions, but then like you get long running franchises of films, and inevitably they start sort of tapering off and becoming like less enjoyable as the films go along. And I'd be worried that something similar would happen if I was running a series of campaigns in the same sort of campaign world. I'd say it might just be Again, I, 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 take your, I take your point entirely. You, it's easier to have a clean slate than have, have that to compare it to. I yeah, know, I, know. I, I, I feel like if we've got a clean slate, I'm not constantly like thinking, like, oh, is this game as good as another one? I'm like, right, I'm just going to concentrate on making this game as enjoyable mm-hmm. as I can without sort of comparing it in my own mind to other things I've run because it is a different game. And that's even if I even if I'd run like three D D games or whatever in a row, because they'd probably all be set in different campaign worlds and we'd have different stuff come from the session zero, they would be different games, even if they're ostensibly using the same system and the same idea of like I love my my hex exploration stuff. So that's always a sort of part of my games. But even with that sort of same sort of skeleton like the meat you put on them makes the games very different so i don't find i'm always making these comparisons i can just concentrate on enjoying the game that i'm doing at the moment without worrying about other ge- about worrying what yeah. you've done before yeah, yeah exactly but to, but to, but just to go back to one of your earlier points there for a second the i, I think as long as the stakes are high enough for the players as long as it's, as long as the stakes for what's going on for the players in that game are, like are, are what they are believable comparing it to the other game doesn't it doesn't it doesn't affect the the players you know what i mean so it's obviously it's a view it's it's, it's a thing but the game must be bad if it if it doesn't always hit the same like benchmark as the previous game because for me i'm like i'm a i'm what you'd call a plot opportunist <laughs> <laughs> like I love taking the interesting things out that have gone before and using them in the future. Like I love take like the, the whole thing from your Jade Point game with the the, the 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 crash, the destruction of the city. Like you know, who survived that, if anyone? You know what? How did that um, reshape the landscape? What kind of weird magical effects will are there the fallout of that? That's great seeds for a future story. It could be set like hundreds of years after the initial event, and you could even have a fun kind of commentary where everyone in that current like universe, like the people who were alive then, weren't alive when it happened, and like their their view of the events are not what not true to what actually happened, and there's a lot you can play around with that. Yeah, I agree. And there's, I, there's a lot of great things you could do with that. I, I do think that that whole sort of having a time jump is a good idea, and it's it's one of the things I'm thinking of doing in the future because we did our um, we did our sort of smoke and snow campaign, and we sort of wrapped that up. And obviously, that one because it was fairly recent, I've got all the notes saved for that, but. I do like the idea of like going, like, oh yeah, we're now fifty, hundred years later or whatever. So the events of the previous game are sort of wreathed and shrouded in like myth and legend. So if something's not exactly the same, it's easy to pass off. And I think there's enough distance between the two campaigns that yeah. they they are very much still their own sort of entity. So that's a good way of doing. You've it. got all these factions that are already existing, um, weird magical items that still could be about, like the fallout from like things that could have survived. Like depend, you know, depending what technology level you've got, 
So there's great opportunity. I always, I always see the opportunity in these things when you bring a campaign back or you continue the story because there's always there's always more you could do, but obviously the key thing is to know when to stop. And speaking of knowing when to stop, that's it for this episode. Our conversation didn't end here. We carried on talking about other aspects of the hobby and the games that we're running at the moment, and they will be released in future episodes. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, please like, subscribe, and all of that good stuff, and hopefully we'll catch you in the next one. If you'd like to get in touch or drop us a message about this you can get in touch a number of different ways you can leave a message on speakpipe or the anchor site links down below in the description or you can send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com so until we see you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing have fun